it's time to get into some really good news. Today we're finishing up a series called Stop the World I Want to Get Off, part nine. This is not the end time. So the last three weeks have been focused on the end times kind of a topic. And uh, I want to do a quick recap with you. Show laces are there. All right. And Rod's there. Hey, good morning, Rod. Hope you liked your uh, video there. Okay. This, the reason this series is put out is because of so much fear and anxiety in this COVID time. We're addressing ways to deal with anxiety and stress and what are some of the contributing factors. And one of the contributing factors has to do with our eschatological view uh, of end times. And some people don't even realize they have one. So two weeks ago, we talked about this. We talked about the dream from Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. And how uh, a rock came and uh, knocked down a statue, but the rock grew and filled the whole earth. We're going to come back to that a little later. Uh, Last week, we talked about the rapture. Uh, This is a big topic, you know. Is it happening? Is it coming? Uh, Has it happened? I used to think as a kid, oh, oh, the house is empty. I didn't get raptured, but everybody else did. And I thought I was going to hell. Honestly, very scary times as a kid, because that's what we were taught. But this story is only under 200 years old. The idea of a, a literal rapture of being taken up is, is, is a, is a, the early church never saw that. It's, it's just not there. The idea of being caught up, I, uh, I thought this was really cool. The idea of being caught up in this text, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, catching up, it's like me running a race. And let's say I was uh, having a running race with uh, Russ here, and we went for a quick run, and I beat him, clearly, because I'm much faster than he is. <coughs> um, but once I get to the finish line, he catches up and meets me at the finish line when he, he's going to mute me for that. <laughs> he arrives at the finish line, he caught up, and we will all be caught up together. This is, there's no uh, first place, you know, run. This is, this is all of us catching up to becoming one with Christ. And that's, that's the hope of, of the, the, the idea of the rapture. Nah, it's, it's nothing. It's not real. And uh, if you've never heard that before, oh my goodness, I'm not trying to tick you off. I'm trying to get you to rethink your your history and challenge what you've been taught and at least be uh, teachable to expand your understanding. Uh, This next picture is uh, probably one of my favorite cartoons on... uh, My click's not doing it, sorry. (laughs) Um, This next cartoon is one of my favorites. Uh, It's an old leadership magazine uh, cartoon. Um, the idea here is you've got uh, the person letting everyone into heaven, and then we have all these doors of all the different end times views. You've got pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-mill, all-mill, blah, blah, and a whole ton of different uh, beliefs of what you're, how you're going to enter heaven, and really behind it's just one, one road. And so, honestly, <laughs> that's, the, that's what's kind of fun about this topic. Uh, we may have blown it up too big and made it so much about the future that we forgot about the present and we've forgotten about what has already happened. So end times. What is this end times stuff? Well, I'm, here's a list of probably the top categories which we did not cover in this series because it's way too long. It'll make it too long. And I'm thinking of doing something later. I've been challenged this week by someone who has influenced me. 
uh, in the past uh, to consider doing an end times conference. So stay tuned. We, we may do something like that, and it may not be that far away. But Matthew 24, 23 and 24 is a really big part of uh, end times thinking uh, because some people have believed that when Jesus was saying, hey, watch out, the time is coming, uh, blah, blah, blah. We're going to talk about that today. So that's one part. The mark of the beast is a... Um, uh, topic that's often talked about. In fact, I'm hearing a lot of that today, especially with this weird idea of the microchip in a, in a vaccine. Oh my goodness, that's not that at all. Uh, we'll get there. Tribulation, what is a tribulation? Um, that, I think we're going to touch on that today. The end of the age or the end of the world. People are afraid of the end of the world coming, but uh, we got to revisit that too. 70 AD, what is with 70 AD? Keep mentioning that. What about the messages and dreams in Daniel? Those two big dreams, the 70 weeks and the statue dream that we talked about already. Uh, the book of Revelation. How do we understand Revelation? Oh my goodness, there's so much to learn. What about the Jews, Israel, and the temple? How does that fit in? What about the Antichrist? What about the rapture? We just talked about that. Heaven and earth. It says the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. Oh, what, what does that mean? Uh, Jesus' prophecies regarding Israel. What about Satan and demons? How does that fit in? Like, all this, it comes together. It all, it's all interlinked. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And we discussed that with that statue. The kingdom has come. What does the return of Christ mean? And then what is hell? Listen, all these topics have a, they're all interlinked. And you may not even realize you have a functioning belief about all these somehow. Either they don't exist or you have a, you've been told a certain category means this and this and this and you never questioned it. So when something comes along that questions it, your, your back can go up and go, oh my goodness, what is this? Well, it's not new. I'll promise you that. Uh, our view matters. And does this really matter? Somebody, I can hear somebody say, does it really matter? And I, I, the person I have in my mind, uh, this is, it's always a good question. So does it matter? Yes and no. How you believe on this? Yes and no, it doesn't matter. So if you have a hell, if you already hold a uh, belief of bondage uh, to these fear-filled ideas, then it matters. It's time to release those faulty concepts of the end of the world coming, the rapture's coming, tribulation's coming, all the stuff coming when that stuff, the categories that it's referring to, has already happened, and we have a greater hope for the future now. Not fear. You know, a lot of Christians are trying to escape, thinking, well, I hope it just gets worse and worse. That means Jesus is coming sooner. Or on and on. Oh my goodness. There's so much uh, confusion out there. So, and the idea of no, it doesn't matter. If, if your love for Jesus is, is so wonderful and you're seeing everybody through the lens of the love of Christ and see all as included, then no, your end times view doesn't matter, but you're probably going to have a healthier end times view. At least we need to become aware of what many others are in fear about and that they don't need to be afraid. You need to be aware where unspoken belief systems are lying in people's minds and be able to address that because some people, some people don't know why they're afraid. Some people don't know why this whole end times thing is scary. They've just been told one, one lens. That's it. And I think there's much more to learn. Dr. Caroline Leaf, she writes this. Research has indicated that your behavior and mood in the present is largely shaped by your view of your future. If you're not happy in the present, maybe you need to reevaluate how you view your future. 
that goes for believers as well. You know, if you don't see the world uh, as having hope or an escapism and those that are all going to be destroyed by the fire, blah, 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 and you're, gonna, you're kind of thinking, sucks to be you, attitude, but at least I'm in, that's not, I don't believe that's biblical. I think we need to see the world through the lens of Christ. I think it's powerful. This is not new. What I'm sharing with you is not new teaching. It might be new to you, but it's not new. So please, please, please don't think, that's heresy. That's a famous word. I've had people call me a heretic in the last couple of weeks. It's like, really? Do you even know what the word heretic means? Look it up. You'll be surprised. And this morning, Francois Dutoy posted this on his Facebook page, and that's why I had to quickly change my PowerPoint and add this in. This is really cool. Deconstruction and unlearning made easy. You don't have to extract the drought first. Let the water deal with it and watch the space transform naturally. Light dispels darkness effortlessly. I love that quote because this is a safer way to understand what deconstruction is all about. If you're unlearning concepts that you grew up with, and it's getting scary. You might be thinking, oh my goodness, how much more do I have to unlearn? Um, I thought I was pretty secure. Well, learning is important. You need to keep learning. It's staying in the old school of what you grew up with. There will be some good pillars there that, that can stay. But there's a lot that you need to mature in and grow in and deconstruct. But that's not so much about finding those things to tear down as it is as Francois just pointed out, let the light of Christ and his revelation replace and fill those areas that need filling. And I think that's really, really wise. So thank you for that, Francois. The old covenant and new covenant, that's what this end times thing is about. All these texts that we have been reading have been dealing with the old covenant coming to an absolute end, and a new covenant is now here. And there's a, here's a diagram that my friend um, Jan Egel Gilbranson put together. This is about the, the idea of covenant. So some people have said that the old covenant ended when Jesus died, and the new covenant started at that point. Well, there's actually an overlap so, yes, when Jesus arrived, the old, the old covenant was still there, and a new covenant was ushered in. It may have even happened at the, um, uh, when the Beatitudes were giving the Sermon on the Mount, or even when Jesus stood in the temple and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, this day is now happened in your midst. That could be the beginning of that new covenant, and it's developing, growing, and maturing, and it goes on. So we have an, uh, an overlap uh, going on of the two covenants. One is fading. The old covenant is fading and dying, but the new covenant has come. Lots confusing. Lots of um, unlearning from the disciples. Paul had to unlearn a lot because he was a great um, zealot for the Jewish faith, and man, he, was, he knew the details. And boy, his journey of unlearning was probably one of the greatest. And uh, he's, he was very transparent in what he shared. The church of Christ lasts forever that's really important to remember. It does not crash and burn. The light of Christ, the light of his love, um, the kingdom has come. So this has to do with uh, that, that rock coming and smashing down that uh, statue, and it grows and fills the whole earth. We've got to remember this. Well, let's take a look at Matthew 24. We're going to look at a couple key topics. Matthew 24, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the mark of the beast. 
um, and a couple of topics like that. So these are the ones we're going to end with. Heaven and earth we're going to talk about. Um, just because some of those are the bigger topics we're wondering, what does that mean? What is it? Um, and the, uh, the rest, I'll give you some resources at the end where you can go and study for yourself or stay tuned for our end times conference that we may put on uh, later this year. We'll see. So what if Jesus is wrong? Oh my goodness, did I just say that? What if Jesus is wrong? Was he a false prophet? Well, the reason I'm, I'm saying this is because he predicted something. And if he predicted it and it didn't happen, then he's false. It, he's a false prophet. But I think it did happen. It's done already. Let's take a look at this Matthew 24, verse 33. This is really important. The words matter. See what's underlined on this text. In the same way, when you see all of these things, you can know his return is very near. By the way, he's speaking to his disciples. They're asking about what's going to happen. Jesus had just told them about the, the temple will be torn down. You know, he talked about the three-day thing. They were asking, wait a minute, what do you mean the temple will be torn down and built, rebuilt in three days? How's that? How's that work? And he begins to warn them about what is coming in the near future. How do we know it's in the near future? By what you're about to read. I tell you the truth. This generation, this is the key. And you'll see this in a couple of books, in a couple of chapters too. Mark and Matthew. It says, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. He's speaking about the current, what is coming soon. What is a generation? A generation is defined by 40 years. That's why 70 AD is such a big deal. Take a look at this. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Heaven and earth. Well, somebody's, somebody thinks that it means uh, the utter destruction, the obliteration of, of earth, as in the soil, the rock, the mountains, completely destroyed, and heaven, whatever that is, will be absolutely destroyed, and, we, and then a new one will be created. Well, maybe that's not quite right. Maybe if we understood how the Jews would have understood this text, we might have a better idea of what Jesus meant when he said heaven and earth. And they understood this generation. Here's one from Matthew 24. I don't believe the disciples were asking about the end of the world. They were, our Bible translations may say end of the world, but that's not what it means. It's talking about the end of an age, not world. Very big difference. And what world? The Mosaic world, the, the world of the Old Covenant. They were only asking about what Jesus had just told them about in Matthew 24, about the temple, which meant the end of the Moses age. This is all coming. In Matthew 24, they were not asking about the second coming. How do we know that? Because they didn't believe he was going to leave. Think about that. They were not asking, so what's going to happen in 2,000 years you know, that's not at all on the radar, okay? They initially believed that Jesus was coming to take over the whole Roman Empire. They're waiting for that battle. Yeah, let's take them out. Yeah. They're really excited about that. But then it comes to the cross. They still didn't even believe that Jesus was going to die on the cross. Okay? Like, remember, they weren't that smart to figure out, to ask about the end of the world coming. So when you're reading Matthew 24, if you've been led to believe that they're talking about way, way, way in the future, still our future, there's no way that can be true. None of the questions or answers were referring to thousands of years in the future. He's dealing with 
the current generation. Matthew 23, the chapter before, he's warning them, as a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. He's speaking of the Jews. The whole system, the whole system of the Jewish faith and the, uh, the law system, the sacrificial system and all the priests and, and the Pharisees, this is, he's speaking to them from the murder of the righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of uh, Barakai, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation, 40 years. This is all coming about. The Jews had a chance back in, at Mount Sinai to be priests and kings, but they chose, no, we want a leader instead, and God gave them the law. Well, this is all coming to an end. This is not what God had intended. He didn't even want animal sacrifice, all right? He didn't want it. It was not pleasing to him. Then why is it in the Bible? That's for, well, you can go do some more research on that. Um, I haven't got time to get into that. Matthew 5, verse 17, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, there it is again. What is with the heaven and earth bit? Huh. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until, here it is, its purpose is achieved. Some people think that when we teach grace, it means there's no law. We are lawless now. No, that's not it at all. It's not a permission slip to go and sin. You don't need a permission. You don't need a license to sin. You sin just fine without a license. That's how it works. But this whole idea here, that Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law. You got to remember, the law was given to the Jews as a setup, a setup for failure, there's no human way people could keep the law. And not only that, they added a whole bunch of other laws on top of it, things they thought they could keep. So they tried to drag down the perfection of the law and make it more possible where that appears absolutely impossible. Well, Jesus came in and said, wow, nice try. Let's put it back to impossible. And then he said, I will fulfill the law. I am the only one that is able to. And by doing that, he then brings it to an end. It's like having a will. Uh, some of us have lost family members. And uh, hopefully, uh, everyone has a, a will to describe what their wishes are when they pass away. If you don't have one, get one. Uh, it's an unloving thing to do to not have one. To have one is the most loving thing for your, for your family that's left behind. They, it's got to be written out. Just, just saying. That's a side bent. I, I, I've experienced that with my own family. But the will is no good while the person is alive. It's only a representation of their wishes. And the will cannot be enacted until the person dies. So Jesus, coming under the law, fulfilled the law and then died, bringing that old law, the old covenant, the old will to an absolute end and ushers in a brand new covenant. One that's filled with life and reliance on Jesus alone. It's so much better than the Old Covenant. That's what this whole story is about. That's what this narrative is about. And he's bringing an end to this whole sacrificial system. If he just showed up after his resurrection and said, okay, guys, stop all the sacrifices. It's over now. I've come. It's done. They would have mocked him and probably killed him again. <laughs> they, they, not going to happen. 
Something had to happen in the future that would utterly destroy the system, and it did in 70 AD. Let's keep going. Heaven and earth. In Matthew 24, in the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near right at the door. And the return, the return of Jesus here is the judgment that's coming. The judgment that's brought on by the people who have gone before. It's not God punishing. It's the result of all the decisions that have happened. It's not a punishment. It's a result of. It's the fruit of bad things. It's the fruit of absolute rejection. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. That's a big deal. Um, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Whew, heaven, there it is again. <coughs> Uh-oh. <coughs> I need... <coughs> I just put the water away. <clears throat> yeah, it's that door's locked. <clears throat> Sorry, that's weird. I'm getting too excited here about uh, heaven and earth. <clears throat> All right, so back to this. The story of heaven and earth constantly uh, coming up, it's a big deal. We need to look at it and understand what heaven and earth is. Let's see what this says. Heaven and earth, in Mark 13, same thing. Uh, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So if you think that it means the real heaven and the real earth, as in the um, atoms and cells and everything gone, then you're waiting for an utter destruction of something coming, and that's not happening. Thanks, Russ. I should have learned from last week to have water handy. Let's get into this a little more. Here we go. Either heaven, either, sorry, either they have passed away or you are fully under the law. If heaven and earth has not passed away, we would still be under the system of law under the old covenant. Heaven and earth has already passed away. And you might be thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's not the end of the planet earth. It's the end of planet Moses that's happening here. So, let's explain it. Enough of this nail-biting. What is this? So, from the story of the temple, if you remember the image of what the temple is like, they have the holiest of holies, the holy place, the outer tabernacle in the, in the courtyard and so on. The holy of holies was the innermost part of the temple where God's presence resided and where the priests, mediators of the covenant could go. It was called heaven. They referred it referred to it as heaven. That was the building inside. The inner court is where the Jews worshipped. No, no non-Jews were allowed in there. And they called that earth. And the outer court where the Gentiles could worship was called the sea. You can look that up in Josephus' Wars of the Jews. Uh, right there you'll see that online. This is a really big distinction. Jesus was speaking to his audience who understood these terms. In our Western culture, we don't understand what any of this is because we're not exposed to it. Words mean different things to different generations. We need to go back and understand the context. Let's take a look back to this heaven and earth being destroyed. 
Let me give some history about 70 AD. The Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. It drew back once, but then it returned with a mighty uh, lookout. All right, this, this is back in 70 AD when they were warned. Hey, Jesus warned them, guys, be careful here. This is all going to happen. Common sense, by the way, for the folks was to run into the walled, walled city and be protected from whatever's coming. But Jesus said, don't do that. Run to the mountains. If you're out plowing a field, don't go back to get your cloak. Get out of there. If you see this coming, when you see the armies coming, get out. That's your cue. Powerful, powerful information there to, to look back and see that Jesus was referring to things and the things he was referring to had already happened. You can see almost every single thing really clearly when you look through history. Jerusalem was utterly destroyed. The temple was burned and the gold was removed from each brick. I think it was Titus who said, don't destroy the temple. He wanted to keep it as a great monument, a great trophy uh, as the Romans came. Say, hey, guys, don't do that. But somebody didn't get the word. And they set it on fire, and they ended up taking every brick off, brick by brick, stripping it of all the gold that was on it. The Romans wanted the gold. Not a single stone was left on it. It was, it was incredible. The Jewish records were also destroyed. They utterly destroyed the temple and all the records, so they had no concept of what lineage was, who could be a priest, and so on. That was totally gone. It can never be found again. Because they had some sort of heritage, they had records to show, here's who the tribes of priests would be, the rest of the people are the followers, blah, blah, blah. And it's gone. It can't be brought back. Utterly destroyed. So you have the temple destroyed. You have this, the record of the Jewish system destroyed. And by the way, before this all happened, the, uh, the Roman army came into the Holiest of Holies with their statue of the eagle and whatever it is, right into the Holiest of Holies. It was an absolute embarrassment to the Jews. It was like the greatest um, abomination that came in. It came in through the Romans. It's crazy. If you've never put this together, it's time to do some history and learn. I'm not the only one sharing this. You need to look back. So what's this mark of the beast? Some people are afraid we're going to deal with the mark of the beast. Well, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be afraid of the mark of the beast. It's not a microchip. It's not. It's oh my goodness. Some people are really gullible because they've been pre-programmed to believe that the world's getting worse. They're pre-programmed to believe that all these utterly terrible things have to happen. They're pre-programmed to believe a tribulation is coming that maybe we'll get raptured either before the tribulation, middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation. They're pre-programmed to believe that. So everything you see and read is through that lens. What if the lens changes? What if you were able to see something bigger, wider, and better? Well, let me tell you about this. Hope Fellowship used to be located across from a farmer's market until we moved in March. But in the same way, they had agoras, markets all over Rome. One was in Jerusalem. It was like a farmer's market. It was adored, adorned by a maraud of statues of Greek and Roman deities and heroes. But in Rome, there's a huge statue of Nero. And you, in order to go into that market to be able to buy or go in and sell... All right, and this is the only big place you could do that in. It was required that you worship the Caesar statue, Nero. This was a requirement. The problem for the first century Christians is we're only to worship Jesus. But the Jews also had a problem with this because they're, you don't worship another fake God. That's, they knew that. But the statue is set up and you have to worship the beast because Nero was known as the beast. And we'll get into why in just a moment. 
But after your offering is made, ash is taken from the altar that you were, and then you were marked on your right hand or your forehead to show you have worshipped the beast. That was the mark of the beast. Not a microchip. Not a declaration that you're now damned to hell because you took the mark. That does not exist. Nero was the beast. He was an evil, evil person. He executed his mother. He kicked his pregnant wife to death. He lights Rome on fire and then and burns a third of it to the ground, and then he blames the Christians. He unleashes a 42-month, three-and-a-half-year persecution of the Christians. This was, this was the tribulation, folks. This has already happened. It's one of the most horrific in history. And Nero commits suicide at 31. It was about two years before the fall of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I think it was around 68 uh, AD when Nero kills himself. He fell on his own sword. Interesting. Which then set up a whole chaotic system. And the power grabs in all of Rome. Remember, Rome was divided into 10 provinces, and there was a lot of infighting. And for the last 40 years now, the wars have been creeping up. There's been tons of wars and battles between sanctions and, and groups and religious groups. Oh, my goodness. Recorded history names him as a tyrant, as a wild beast. This was the tribulation. The tribulation is not coming. It was something the Jews and the early church experienced. The mark of the beast has already happened. You don't need to be afraid at all. Trust Christ in you. The kingdom has come. It's now here, and it's filling the whole earth. Jesus wins. Love wins. Don't give me fear stories. I'm tired of it. I don't have to be afraid. I have a great hope that this rock, Jesus, has come, and his kingdom is here. We are possessed by Christ. Christ has come. Is there another coming? We'll talk about that another time. There's more research that has to be done on that. There's a lot of perspectives on this. Don't let this COVID-19 time create even more fear or accelerate fear you had previously, which is why I'm doing this series. So far in this series, we've talked about the recipe for the soul. Go back and watch them. There are nine parts. The first part was being still. Be still. What does that mean? Consider what it meant to pray in a quiet place, just like Jesus often went and did, prayed in a quiet place. Often we're told, don't be afraid. If you're afraid, constantly living in fear, something is not expressing itself. Jesus is not expressing himself through you in that fear. Surrender that fear and anxiety. Even if you don't understand all this stuff, even the stuff I just shared this morning, it might, it might cause greater fear because now, oh no, have, have I been taught something wrong? Have I been believing something wrong? Take Francois uh, Dutoit's uh, quote and take that to heart. Let the light of Christ fill the drought. Let the water take care of what has to be filled. The water of life, the river of life flowing in you. What does it mean to rest? And we need to work from a place of rest, not, not trying to achieve something. Some people work hard to try to achieve their salvation or maintain their salvation. Or even worse, people try to work hard to try to get God to like them. But God already likes you, deeply loves you, and exceedingly values you. God loves you. Beloved, do you know you are loved? 
You need to know you are loved. This is a, that was a really important message. God loves everyone is an even scarier message because until you know you are loved <coughs> and beloved, not until you know your love can you then see how everyone else is also loved. There is no us versus them at all. God is love. Did you know he, that's his essence, his DNA? See, all these things play into this, oh my goodness, I'm scared. Stop the world, I want to get off. I'm tired of this, I'm afraid. I just want to crawl into a hole and just hide myself until this whole thing's over. But that's not what we're called to. Take a look at this. Then we started talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how the kingdom has come and we have hope for the future. Last week we talked about the rapture and this time we ended up talking about the mark of the beast and a couple other topics that I think were really important. Today, let's live in the hope of Christ in us. We have been given good news. Let's share the good news. All right. I want to show you some resources as we wrap this part up. Um, there's a couple extra ones in from la- than I showed you last time. You're going to see in the links uh, these com- these, this post here of... Um, the link to the end time series I taught previously, and then a study from Lynn Hiles. Uh, somebody's watching from Wallsburg. I think uh, Lynn might have spoken there. I think he did. Um, but that series is really w- uh, well done as well. Uh, there's a couple of books. Keith Giles uh, wrote a book called Jesus Unexpected. This is a brand new book. It just came out. So if you're looking for something fresh, this is a good one. But he's not the only author. There's more. But this is, this is a quick, easy read. Then we have uh, two books that influenced me years ago uh, by uh, Jonathan Welton. Raptureless. Uh, and then his, his third edition of Raptureless. Again, another great study on history and uh, what has already happened. Lynn Hiles, I already showed you the, uh, the video link, but he has two other books out on this topic, A Revelation of Jesus and, and God's Beauty and the Beast. And then we have uh, Martin Trench and Harold Eberly wrote Victorious Eschatology, great book. Uh, Yanego Gobranson, he's written a couple books. Uh, Again, he's been a great encouragement to me. Uh, He's the one who launched me into a reawakening of end times. uh, And it was, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, He also wrote two other books called uh, Jesus is Israel, You Are Not Israel, um, Not Israel, 1948. That's worth a read. And of course, the book of Revelation, it's all about 70 AD. So that's not the title on there, that's just a comment on top of the book. Um, but this is, these are books worth looking at. If you want to take a look at Satan and what does that mean? What is, how does that fit in? Uh, Rene Girard's song, a book, uh, I See Satan Fall Like Lightning, worth a read. It's very heavy. Um, and David Chilton was one of my first authors that I read uh, many, many years ago, and I was heavily influenced by that and found the first spark of hope. And I knew as I was reading it, something leapt in me, and that was, the book was called The Great Tribulation. Then he also wrote The Days of Vengeance, uh, and as you go through the book of Revelation, you'll, you'll see what he means. It sounds like a scary title, but it's a trick in a way, because it's showing you a better, more hope-filled lens than what we have been told. And then uh, lastly, um, um, uh, I was given this suggestion called The End by Dr. Scott Hahn. So if you have a Catholic background, this is a really good one. David Wang uh, commented on my message last week and uh, pointed to this. And uh, I took a look into it. So I want to make sure that you have the resources available to you. So thank you, David, for, for that reference. Um, I love when everybody chimes in and, and has a say and is encouraging. Uh, and, and again, if this, is, if this is all new to you, that's okay. Uh, if you're not sure if what I've shared is true, doesn't matter. 
That's okay. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Um, we may see different parts of theology differently, and that's okay. Somebody, somebody may think I'm way off of my end time stuff, but the identity in Christ stuff's amazing. Fine. Just know that we each have different gifts that we bring to the family of God. Every one of us brings an element of mystery and uh, in, in how we perceive and understand the scriptures. So that's why we need to keep getting together and connecting and staying connected as best we can. All right, that wraps things up. 